following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on everything you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals to help you save during our spring Black Friday sale, like Bonnie Vegetable and Herb Plants, four for $10. And for a clean-looking landscape, pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch for just $10. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417, not valid on Alaska or Hawaii. Bonnie offer valid on 19-ounce pots. See store for details, U.S. only. A lot of people have this, and I know I've had this at certain times, this TV version of how you're supposed to start a business, which is uh, you put everything into it or you go out and raise money and and it's sort of uh, a quick win or a quick fail. Um, One of the pieces of advice that I give to folks is don't quit your day job. Um, Starting a new business can be really exciting and it's, it's tempting to jump in with both feet. But there's another way to do it, which is uh, a little bit slower of a route, but it it may be months or even years before your business is profitable enough for you to take a salary. Welcome to the Forbes Under 30 Podcast. I'm Steve Goldblum, your host. On this show, we speak with young entrepreneurs and innovators. Today, we're speaking uh, with Kyle Taylor, who has come a long way since uh, he was raised by a single mother who struggled to support him and his siblings on a $40,000 a year salary. Now, he's the CEO and founder of The Penny Hoarder, a media company that offers up financial tips that help people earn and save money in creative and lesser-known ways, tricks he learned when helping out his family as a young kid. Kyle, hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here. Well, why don't we start? I, I do want to focus on your upbringing. So, can you tell me where did you grow up? Well, uh, for the early part of my childhood, I lived in Ohio, and my mom had remarried um, to a man who um, was pretty well off, and we had a very, very comfortable lifestyle. And when I was uh, 12 years old, they divorced, and um, my mom and I, with my two sisters, moved down to Florida. And life changed very suddenly for us. All of a sudden, uh, my mom was supporting us on, as you say, just a $40,000 salary. Um, and and it, was, it was a, a, real, a real shift <laughs> um, in the sort of things that were available to us. What part of Florida did you, did you move to? Uh, to the um, Bradenton area, which is sort of near Tampa Bay. Right. And did you – when did you – it's interesting when you talk about – and I've heard you talk about this before, you were so aware, you were brought up with full transparency of your family's finances, which is the exact opposite of the way that I was raised. I mean, I had no idea what my family, how much money they had or how much money that my dad made. When did that come into your, enter your consciousness? Very young. And you know, it's funny because now I understand how strange that is, but growing up, it just seemed normal. Um, My parents uh, told us exactly how much money they made and um, every week we would sit down as a family and look at the budget and we knew exactly how much money was in each category. And then uh, my mom would challenge us kids to um, uh, try to uh, stay within those categories or even beat uh, what we had budgeted. Uh, one of my favorite stories to tell is she would ha- we would go out to the side of the house and read the electric and water meters and see if we could beat the day before. <laughs> um, and it was honestly, it was just a, a sort of a competitive thing with us kids. We, we, we wanted to see if we could uh, turn off all the lights uh, and, and save some money. 
but it, it was very eye-opening. We knew exactly how much money was going out, that's for sure. And breaking away to say thank you to Veridesk and Rocket Mortgage for their support of our show, The Under 30 Podcast. More about those companies later in the show. Did that make you was that was that a source of stress growing up or was it like a as you say like a fun game like a, like a real life version of Monopoly? It was very much like Monopoly. I remember one time we were saving for a new house and my mom created um this big chart in their room and and she drew this road up to the house. And every time we saved $1000 as a family, us kids got to take turns coloring in one of the bricks on the road. <laughs> and you know, it it so it never was stressful. It was like a game. It really was. Are there things that you did? Other things that you want to mention that you would recommend doing now for, for families who want to be sort of more aware of their finances and uh, and savings? Well, one thing that was uh, really clear to us uh, was we weren't going to be able to support a family of four on forty thousand dollars, at least not in the same way we were before. Um, and so if we wanted to have these sort of extracurricular activities, um, like participating in sports or whatever at school, we needed to find um, other ways to bring in money as a family. And um, my mom worked really hard, but she taught us about how to how to find, find side jobs. And we did a lot of them as a family. And what that's were, something I've carried to my, my, my life now. What were some of the side jobs that you did as a family? Uh, so one of my favorites was we uh, uh, did movie preview auditing. Which is when a, um, a production studio basically pays you to go to a, a local um, movie theater and write down all the previews you see <laughs> for the movies that day. And sometimes we had to count how many people were there as well. And then we would turn that in so that um, advertisers could be sure that their previews are being seen and, and so forth. I've heard of people who have that job, but that was like the, in like the 70s. What, what, what year was that? <laughs> Did they still have that job, you think? It, they do, yes, and we we write about it on the penny order now. Um, so, th- but this was, uh, I guess, fifteen years ago when we did it as a family. So, this is a job you can still get now. You, you can, absolutely you can, can for the advertisers. Count how many if the, if the theaters are being honest in their previews. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, I'm I'm wondering why you know I th- I, th- I feel like these subjects like sex, politics, money. Um, maybe even religion falls into this category, like taboo. You're not supposed to talk about them. You encourage that's, families to to talk about money. Yeah, that's so true. And I think that it's really built up this whole idea of um, not talking about money has built up a stigma around personal finance, um, where for most people, it's something that should be private or something that uh, shouldn't, shouldn't be talked about. And... Um, our family had the exact opposite experience, and, and as I've grown up, I, I've done something similar. That's one of the reasons that I started the penny order was to share my finances. I, I needed help being held, uh, uh, held accountable, and um, in my case, it was readers, but it could be a friend or a family member. Well, we, you know, you talk about your upbringing and that you were sort of schooled to be to be frugal and 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 uh, mindful of, of spending. At what point did you um, run into a problem of spending beyond your means uh, when you got older? Yeah, so like uh, like most twenty-somethings, um, everything my parents had taught me in the previous twenty years sort of flew in one ear and out the other. Right. <laughs> I, uh, I I quickly went the other way. So um, I moved out when I was eighteen for college, and it was about three days into that when you got I a credit card. Spending. Yeah, I got the credit card and started spending and buying things that. Um, I had no business buying. Now, I, I wasn't buying a ton of toys, but I was spending money going out to dinner or buying, you know, a new pair of clothes. And 
uh, with no plan to be able to pay that back. So that that started very quickly for me. What did you do? Because I think everybody bumps into that when they, they leave home and you actually realize you have no idea how to behave in the world as an adult. You're not really an adult yet. And you've been living in the sheltered world. Well, this sounds like you, you were living in a world that was a little less sheltered because you were at least aware of the money coming in. Um, but what cha- what was the moment that it, that it changed for you? Well, I, I struggled with my own finances um, uh, for many years. It wasn't until um, 2010, so six years after I moved out, um, that I sort of had a, a wake-up call and um, realized how much debt I had racked up, over $50,000 and uh, decided to start making a change. Well, how did you make the change? What did you do? Well, it got, it got very dark for me. I think like a, uh, I had to really hit rock bottom. And in my case, um, I had just gotten a new job, but I was completely out of money and uh, couldn't, even, uh, couldn't even make it the three weeks until my first paycheck. Um, and so I was um, struggling to find food, um, sneaking into hotels for free free breakfast, uh, looking for change on the side of the road to buy ramen, and um, and this is why you're a, this is why you're in school. Uh, so I had dropped out of school at this point. This is six years after after leaving home. Okay, and uh, that was such a dark time. I, I I remember saying to myself, I never want to be back in this again. Um, and it was a few months after that that I started the penny hoarder. Um, uh, which was really a, a lifeline for me, um, a place to be able to write about um, this debt and to be able to come back weekly and report about how much I had paid off. So that's how the, the – tell us how the penny hoarder started. It, it started as almost like a therapeutic expression um, for you. That's, that's exactly right. I didn't think anyone was going to find it or read it. <laughs> In fact, um, I started at the pennyhoarder.blogspot. That's yeah. how um, – uh, informal it was. Is this 2010? Was, this is 2010. But yes, it was therapy for me. Absolutely. Do you think that it had anything to do, I mean, with it resonating so widely, the site, that, that the, the the country was in financial recovery? Yeah, I'm sure that's part of it. Um, I, you know, the site didn't really take off until a couple of years later. Um, but I, I think one of the phenomenons is that while the country by and large has recovered and GDP is up and unemployment is down. A lot of people are still struggling. Um, some, some studies show that, you know, up, over 50% of Americans have less than a thousand dollars in their bank account. So I, I think I was in a similar situation as a lot of people, quite frankly. And do you think your site speaks to, um, the rise of, you know, the shared and gig economy that's, uh, rampant right now? I, I definitely part of it is um, absolutely some of our most popular content is um, about gigs and side jobs. Um, I think that the, the way the economy has shifted, um, particularly among millennials, they're putting together many jobs to create an income rather than just one. What, do you, what advice do you have for people who are taking on um, debt right now in college and, and student loans of, of how they can better manage it? Um, if I could go back. Um, not only would I uh, cut back on the spending, but I, I would have I would have made sure um, when I was at, at at University of Colorado that I was working th- through that time, even if it meant going to school a little bit slower. Right. I th- I think too often you know university is supposed to be a four year experience, um, and that's just how it is, and we take on the debt to make to make that work. 
But if I had slowed down a little bit and even gone to school part-time and worked full-time, I think I would have um, uh, come out of that with a very different financial situation. Kyle, can you tell us, are there any other tips about student loans you want to share? Sure. Yeah. Well, first of all, if you're taking out student loans, uh, remember that those are for tuition and books and try to find another way to pay uh, for living while you're in school. Uh, You'll find that those student loans, once you get out of school, maybe add a few rounds of deferment to that, they can become forever unmanageable. And then resolve to pay them off quickly. Um, It's reported that um, almost 97% of student loan debt hasn't been refinanced. Uh, So that means that there are billions of dollars in student loans out there that could be refinanced at a better interest rate. Try to to get that done as soon as possible, especially while rates are low, and uh, you'll you'll find that you'll be able to pay them off much quicker. And and you've said before that even when you were making – you know, very little money in the beginning. You wish you'd put more aside. You'd wish you'd put more of that tax-free money aside, right? Yeah, I absolutely do. I mean, it's um, so many personal finance experts recommend this, and it really is the right thing to do. Pay yourself first. Your your future is the most important bill that you can pay each week. Oh, I wish I'd done more of that myself. You're making me feel <laughs> bad. What else do you do? Be specific about like what what other buckets do you have? If people want to put together a spreadsheet right now for this Sunday. What can they do? What should we do? What are the line items? So we all have different uh, expenses, fixed expenses each week. But one of the biggest things I tell folks to do is you need to plan for fun. You need to have a budget for enjoying life. One of the mistakes that I made early on with budgeting was I was so rigid with myself. I said, okay, I got to cut out all this stuff. I got to cut out going to dinner, cut out video games. And it was – You're like a Marine. Yeah, exactly. By by day four, I was like, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, you've got to build in a little bit of fun. Now, it doesn't need to be expensive fun. Yes. Um, one of the things that, that I did uh, uh, for many years was potluck night with my friends. We each could spend 5 or $10 and contribute a dish. Um, and we still had a great night. Someone was in charge of bringing in the two-buck uh, chuck. Someone mm-hmm. was in charge of a... a, of a uh, a main dish and a side dish and a dessert and uh, uh, have an awesome night for only five bucks. So those little things, even though it's not a ton of money, um, you need to build it into your budget. Otherwise, you'll you'll learn to hate your hate budgeting. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Support for the Forbes Under 30 podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, the mortgage company that decided to ask why. Why can't clients get approved in minutes rather than weeks? Why can't they make adjustments to the rate and term in real time? And why can't there be client-focused technological mortgage revolution? Quicken Loans answered all these questions and more with Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your tenth, with Rocket Mortgage you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Forbes, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org number 3030. And what else, I mean, I understand that because I need to keep like 
three or four tablespoons of peanut butter on me at all time. Otherwise, I'm uh, just a nightmare. Um, but you, um, can you tell me what else is on your list? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, what other what other things do you have uh, that people can do? Each, I mean, are you looking at the groceries or you, what? What you tell us? So everything is on there. Um, so one of the easiest ways to create a budget is to get six months of your bank and credit card statements and first evaluate how much your average is per month. And uh, one of the things that I, I look to do personally is I want to keep my uh, my uh, housing expenses under 30% of my income. And there have been times in life where I've had to either – where I could either upsize or downsize because my salary had changed. But that needs to be less than 30%. And then another uh, 30%, which is uh, lifestyle. That's, you know, that's eating. That's cl- new clothes. Uh, that's the, th- the, the uh, other fixed expenses, your transportation. And then that, that last uh, um, uh, third there, that, that is for saving for your future. That is sort of my ideal budget, and that's how I try to manage it now. I put that money aside first, and then the last – uh, whatever I have less left gets to go to those last two categories. What were you doing uh, for money while you were blogging and just getting the the, the penny hoarder off uh, off the ground? Yeah, so in the early days, uh, the blog was really just a hobby. Uh, um, it was a way of holding myself accountable for all that debt I had accumulated. Uh, so I, I wasn't thinking about it as a business. As for the content, I, I had put together a ton of different side jobs. And that really became fodder for what I would write about. So on the nights and weekends, I would go out and do all these side jobs. And I kind of thought of myself as a guinea pig. I would, <laughs> I would uh, you know, if there was some gig on Craigslist, I'd try it. And, and then I would write about it and tell people my experience. So those were the first couple of years of the site. What were some of the most unusual jobs that you uh, found yourself in in those first <laughs> few years? Don't well, hold back. Okay. Well, so one of my favorites and – uh, most lucrative was I was a beer auditor. Really? I got I got paid to go to grocery stores, gas stations, and bars, and see um, see if they would check my ID. I was only uh, you know twenty five years old, so and I had a pretty young face at the time. So um, the stores would pay me um, anywhere from fifteen to fifty dollars to just. Uh, buy a bottle of wine or a pack of beer or whatever, and then write a short report on whether the cashier or bartender carded me. Cool. Were you a secret agent? I, I felt like it. <laughs> um, I actually uh, love doing these so much that I started uh, traveling out of state to do them. I would line up a hundred stores along the Eastern seaboard and I would, I would make like a three or four day trip out of them um, because they were so easy and I had such a blast doing them. Was this so part of your lifestyle? What, what was your social life during this time? Were you bringing people along to help with you uh, do this or were you just going solo? I, I was going solo on those, but, uh, you know, for, for a nerdy kid, uh, that bringing home all that free booze was probably the first time I found popularity in my life. Of course. <laughs> Okay, so that's one a beer auditing. I mean, all these jobs yeah. you've had beer auditing jobs. You've had the you were in the theater uh, counting previews. W- yes. What else? What What are some other things that caught your eye that you know we wouldn't even think of? So I I got I found this gig. Uh, this was a Craigslist gig. Mm-hmm. It was a joint promotion between Coca Cola and Waffle House, and Perfect. I had to go to Waffle Houses all over the southeastern United States. And see if the server would offer me a Coke. I guess they, they had an unprompted. 
unprompted. unprompted. Okay. Uh, can I get you a Coke? Um, and if if they did, it was my job to make a big spectacle in the restaurant and get up, get up and out of my table, get the attention of all the patrons in the restaurant, congratulate the uh, server, and then give them uh, a, a free fifty dollars bonus. That's an amazing job. You're like it's the, so fun. Now, if they don't do it, do you have to throw like a fit? Oh, thankfully, no. Thankfully, if, if if the server didn't mention it, I was supposed to never reveal myself because um, there were a, a chance that a future auditor might come and audit a different server. Anymore, I feel like I just want to keep asking you about jobs you found on Craigslist. <laughs> they they weren't all great. I remember um, uh, one time I, I responded to this pizza place that wanted to pay me to deliver flyers door to door. I thought, this is great. I'll just put my iPod in yep. and I'll go door to door. Um it ended up being a disaster. I uh, first of all, uh, as I as I knew earlier in my career, going door to door on campaigns, there's all kinds of things you run into when you're headed door to door. You got dogs and people who don't want a flyer. Yeah. And, uh, and and then I got back, and I guess I hadn't quite calculated out the math correctly because I was being paid like point zero zero five a flyer or something like that. Right. And I I was on my feet for ten hours, and I got forty dollars and a free slice of pizza, and I thought. I did something That's wrong it. here. <laughs> right, right. You might as well be doing something for like Howard Dean or somebody you care about at that <laughs> exactly. point, right? So, what are some other major milestones of of the pet? You get the you get the blog of the site. And you're sort of reporting back. You are the guinea pig journalist. Um, did you what What was the next phase? When, when did when else did you see a spike in traffic to your site? Yeah, it was it was really hobby until about summer of 2013, and um, then I got a uh, email from an editor at Oprah.com um, asking me if I would share some extra ways to make money for the site. And, you know, I, at the time, I didn't have Google Analytics. I, I had no idea people were even really reading my site with the exception of a few comments that I would get. So for somebody, for an editor um, at such a big publication like that to reach out, I thought, well, this is cool. People are finding me. Uh, and maybe Maybe there's something else here. Um, so that was a big moment for me when I started thinking about how I could take what was a hobby and turn it into a business. It is funny like that with press, isn't it? I mean, like, what reaction did you have when you first see yourself on like Oprah.com and you realize overnight you've been, uh, you've become credible, an authority? It, it was an incredible moment. And, you know, there's not, for a blogger, um, that, that is our outside validation. Um, sure. Sure. Now, now I look at uh, view counts and I look mm-hmm. at uh, feedback we're getting from readers. But outside press is a big way that we even grow now. And so to have to have um, a name like that, someone that I admired. Now I, I didn't get to talk to Oprah myself, but to have it, my name anywhere close to hers, I was willing to take uh, was was definitely a big moment. And did the press did sort of uh, press beget more press? Were you on NPR or something the next day, or how did it, what happened after that? Yeah, it definitely started to help each other. Now it wasn't right away. It's um, um, but several months later, I got a call from ABC Nightline, right? And uh, they had found found the site as well. And they flew um, a camera crew down to my little studio apartment and uh, shot footage all day. Sadly, they didn't end up end up using it, but um, those were the sort of 
moments that started reinforcing this as, hey, maybe this has a little bit of traction. Um, other people are starting to find it. And people love the story, right? They love every, – everybody wants to be like they, – they were just like Lincoln. They came out of nowhere. You know, like you, you – <laughs> um, you, the sweat equity was so appealing to what you were doing, right? Oh, thank you. Um, it, you know, it has been a labor of love, that's for sure. And um, one of the, the things in the very beginning was to be uh, – sort of my motto is to be transparent. I'm going to tell people exactly what I have, exactly what I don't have, and the mistakes I've made. And we've tried to keep that same feeling on the site. And I, I honestly think it's the reason people keep coming um, back to us is that it's relatable. They're, we're just regular people who are, who are trying to – uh, uh, save money like everybody else. Well, do you have tips for people who are in the side hustle or just starting a business or just starting a site like you to get off the ground? Like, What, what advice do you have for people in that position? Yeah, I, I think I um, a lot of people have this, and I know I've had this at certain times, this TV version of how you're supposed to start a business, which is uh, you put everything into it or you go out and raise money and, and it's sort of uh, a quick win or a quick fail. Right. Um, one of the pieces of advice that I give to folks is don't quit your day job. Um, it, starting a new business can be really exciting and it's it's tempting to jump in with both feet. But there's another way to do it, which is uh, a, a little bit slower of a route, but it, it may be months or even years before your business is profitable enough for you to take a salary. Um, I know I went more than two years before um, being able to have any money out of the business. Um, so start it as a side gig and, and grow it until it's able to um, support your, uh, your your regular income before quitting your job. So is that the criteria? Before, before you can jump in and, and really put, put all your efforts into it, you want to be – you want to make sure that this outweighs whatever else you were going to be doing. I mean how, how, well, at what point do people know that they have a solid enough business to, to really put everything into it? Yeah, that's my criteria. Now, don't get me wrong. You know, Mark Zuckerberg – quit and put, you know, put all the chips on Facebook and that turned out great, but we're not all Mark Zuckerberg. And I, I do think that, um, for a lot of people, a better path is starting, starting a business as a side gig and building it until it can support you with a full-time income. And we'll be right back after a quick break. With the new year upon us, lots of us are at least thinking about ways in which we can be happier and healthier. Maybe we'll take in some yoga, cook up better dinners, or perhaps try a standing desk, like Veradesk. Veradesk turns your desk into a standing desk, so you're more active than sitting all day. Standing more and sitting less can lead to more energy, less back pain, more productivity, and, you know, you just you look more alert. Check out Veradesk risk-free for 30 days with free shipping both ways. See it for yourself at Veradesk.com. That's V-A-R-I-Desk.com. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. What was your peers and your family's reaction to uh, the site when it launched? It was mixed. Um, so I didn't tell anybody about the site at first. Uh, so I was, first of all, I was ashamed about all the debt I had racked up. 
And um, I was blogging anonymously for the first six months. I was just blogging as the penny hoarder. Um, and I quickly realized, like, if I'm going to be transparent about this, like, and I'm really going to hold myself accountable, I have to go all the way. i got to put my name on this. Otherwise, it's not going to work. So I started, uh, I moved over to my own domain and started writing under my, my byline. But the reaction from friends and family was mixed. My family was very supportive. Um, they were they were excited for me to get out of debt, but um, I had a, a, a couple of friends who thought the whole thing was kind of silly. And admittedly, I didn't have the prettiest website at the time. Right. Or I didn't really have a clue what I was doing. Um, but I, I definitely had uh, my share, and I think every business owner has this: my share of of people who didn't think it was going to work. You know, it, it's inter- it, something reminds me of this. Maybe I'm a little off base, but I think people there's this sense of oversharing these days mm. that people find cathartic in a way. And it's I, I know someone recently posted who I know about depression. They posted on Facebook that they were mm-hmm. depressed and they were getting help. And they, I just kind of couldn't believe what I was reading because it was so open. But I thought, well, I, I actually called that person who I knew later the afternoon, and I was glad that I did. I was glad he said what he did. Do you feel like? This is where we're at right now as a culture that, that that people need to do this. People need to talk and and use all the tools of communication to be a little more vulnerable than they otherwise would be. I think it's a much healthier way to use social media and than than some of the other or to use the internet than some of the other ways we use it to brag, yell, yell about <laughs> or to share what we're eating um, and our if, accomplishments. Yeah. I, Listen, I'm all for more people living their life openly. I, I know um, what a difference it made for me. Um, and it's scary at first. Uh, you're fr- I was afraid of the judgment. I was afraid of, um, as you say, revealing too much. But, but um, in my case, it was it was the only way of getting out of that hole. I had tried on my own way too many times to fix my finances and, and continued to fail. Um, so I needed I needed help. I needed other people uh, to hear my story uh, in order to get out of it. What was the first uh, moment when you realized, like, did someone write in and say, hey, this really connects with me? I'm in a similar situation. Did you have that experience? You know, so I rem- the first person to actually write me, and, and sad- sadly I don't remember their name, but um, was about uh, my beer auditing job <laughs> uh, that we talked about before. And they said, thank you for telling me about this. I just got the same job in my city. And I thought that was so cool that I had helped somebody get a job in some small way. And um, in, in a lot of ways, it was what I was trying to achieve on campaigns. I was working on improving economic opportunity. Uh, so to think I could have some small effect on somebody just by sharing my story um, was pretty inspiring and definitely definitely made me want to uh, uh, take it to the next level. When do you decide to invest in yourself if you're starting a, a business like this? How much – I mean so you've had experience, good and for bad, you know, of taking on debt. So how do you know – when do you decide to invest in yourself and take on debt uh, when you really do feel that your business as yours has uh, yeah. is going to be successful? And most people do think that. Well, we've been lucky enough so far to grow without taking on any debt or, or even any um, outside investment. Um, but I, I made the decision very early on. Um, so in 2013, when I sort of made that transition from from hobby to business, um, I resolved to to uh, 
reinvest 50% of my profits back into growing the business. And um, I, I do think it's one of the, one of the big reasons we've been able to grow so quickly is that we've left capital in the business uh, uh, so that we can we can fund new areas. And are you the sole owner of the business? I am. Yes. What a good position to be in. I'm I'm very very lucky. I've um, it's such an incredible team, and I I'm more. I think when I first started hiring, um, I said to um, I said to uh, Lexi, I said, let's go hire a bunch of people smarter than us because <laughs> we were we were so confused about what to do, um, about how to take how to take uh, um, this to the next level. So that's what we did. We went and found a bunch of people that were really smart, paid them a lot, and they and it's just been an incredible team that's um, um, not only taken this to the next level, but taught Lexi a lot, uh, Lexi and I a lot along the way. Do you uh, offer any kind of equity to your employees, or do they participate in the profit? We don't have a profit sharing plan, but we do have um, pretty competitive benefits. So we match, for example, our employers, our employees' four hundred one k up to four percent of their salary, and we pay for um, health insurance premiums one hundred percent for both our employees and their families. That's great. Tell me a little bit about some of the revenue streams that you have. I mean, I, I suspect advertising is a big one for you. Yeah, so like all media companies, we make money through advertising. But one of the big things that's different from us is that um, we don't make any money from display ads. In fact, uh, we've now removed them completely from the site. I noticed that. Yeah. One of the things that's been important to us is user experience. We want to create the best possible user experience because our hope is that people will continue to come back. We've also been really successful in creating a, a model, a different kind of model, which we call performance media where we work directly with advertisers um, like General Mills and Lyft um, and Abata to uh, write and produce video content uh, that's in both our voice and um, that encourages people uh, to sign up for those sites. And uh, the reason we like it so much is we, we choose companies that we would write about anyway. Uh, those are all companies right. that we, we use in our day-to-day life. But because we get so involved in those companies' businesses, um, they pay and we, we are um, paid on a performance basis, meaning we, get, we only get paid if the advertising campaign is successful. We're able to command much higher rates um, than most media companies do through display ads. So tell me, is that a little bit like a sponsored post that you might see in the New York Times? Kind of, but the difference is, is that we're, it's not a flat fee. So like for example, um, I've read before that you know BuzzFeed, um, who has an uh, agency in house, you know it's a it's a hundred thousand um, dollar fee to get you know five or six posts or whatever it might be on the site. Right. Ours is different. Our advertisers don't pay us. Um, so in the case of Lyft, until our reader gets their first paycheck, we don't get a check. Um, so it is very different in that sense. That, that's interesting, and it's a perfect. Um match for you in terms of a ride-sharing uh, partner, you know, like Uber or Lyft, somebody that's coming to the penny hoarder. Yeah, that that's another thing that's different about us. So rather than um, advertising advertisers choosing us, we choose our advertisers. Right, like Whole Foods might not make sense. It, maybe, depending on the context, mm-hmm. but probably um, what, the, the way it works is that when an advertiser comes to us or comes through our sales team, uh, the deal gets presented to our editorial team. 
and our editorial team kicks the deal around or kicks the company around, decides if it's something we would write about. Is it something that helps fulfill our mission of putting money in people's pockets? Right. And if it's not, then we don't, then we don't accept the advertiser. And, um, about, about 90% of advertisers fall into that category. It's a very, uh, select few that we decide to work with. And so what type of video or, 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 or media are you making for them? Like, give me an example of how you would make something for Lyft. Yeah, so one of our uh, fastest growing uh, forms of video right now is live. We uh, we have a live show. It's currently currently on Facebook. We're going to open to other platforms soon, every single day. And uh, it's allowed us to not only um, be super creative because we can we can include people at home in the experience. I'll give you an example. We recently partnered with Aspiration to create a game show. And we had uh, four of our readers uh, live uh, come in via Skype and participate in this game show. And the winner got a $500 um, Aspiration Bank account. So it's a very, very different kind of format, uh, but we like it because people at home get to to be a part of it. Right. And and lots involved in that. That's really – the ask is quite large for people there. It, it is a lot of work. Um, so we do have we have a production team um, here at the Penny Hoarder. We have um, about seventy employees now, and we have um, almost ten folks that uh, work on video or live production every day. Do you feel like when you when you as your business is growing, are you entering into different fields that you've just always admired, like media and journalism, and having your hands in all these different uh, areas? Uh, absolutely. Uh, we talked uh, previously about how I'm kind of a political junkie. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that I like is, you know, we always say we're not quite a blog anymore and we're not quite a, a news site. We're somewhere in between. We've retained that same bloggy, like personal tone, but we've applied the same sort of fact checking and uh, journalistic integrity that a newspaper might have. And this year we've started to move uh, some of our resources into hard news as well. So being able to cover, for example, um, uh, the changes to the Affordable Care Act being proposed in Congress, um, that was that was a proud moment for me, but also an, an exciting one for the political junkie of me uh, that we could that would play a part in that. Well, can you tell me how big is the what does the uh, readership look like? How big and and what do you know about them? So we now have over sixteen million readers a month. And uh, they're spread all over the United States. Um, about 60% of our readers are female. And uh, while we do have, um, are, we are growing in other demographics, uh, folks that are 25 to 34 remain our largest demographic right now. Well, that's, that's about as coveted the demographic as you can get. But it's, it's when, you know, it's, I think it's when personal finance starts to become really real for a lot of people. It's when you start to think about a family uh, uh, buying your first house, uh, many of our folks struggling with student loan debt. Right. Uh, so I, I think it's a pivotal moment in people's um, sort of personal finance. Uh, how, do you, how do you recommend people when they just come across the site now and they're, and they're sort of interested, as I think most people are, in improving their finances? What are some, some quick, actionable things people can do to get started on the site? So we tried to lay the site out in a way where you can navigate to the section where you think uh, your budget needs the most help. So if you think it's about bringing in more income, we have a section on the site uh, for making extra money or, or, or finding finding jobs. 
Um, if it's about cutting down your grocery bill, we have a section on food. Uh, if it's about cutting down your student loan debt or starting to save for retirement, we have a smart money section. So we try to lay it out so that folks can navigate to wherever it is that they they want the most uh, help. Kyle, how old are you? I am 30 years old now. You're 30 years old, Kyle. And when you run for office in five <laughs> years and you're yes. making a Howard Dean-like stump speech and you're <laughs> shouting at the uh, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, what are you uh, – are you going to be campaigning on your, your pocketbook ways to sort of improve the American economy? <laughs> I, I have long since given up the idea that I that I might run for office someday. I'm uh, absolutely happy running the penny hoarder for the rest of my life. That being said, um, I do think that these sort of pocketbook issues um, should be at the forefront of our political campaigns. And this is the kind of stuff uh, um, that affects people on a day-to-day basis. And I know firsthand um, just how real that can get. I um, you know, when you get to a moment of not being able to afford, afford food or worrying about where your next check comes from, like so many people have, um, it's it's hard to take seriously uh, the rest of our political discourse. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it. Kyle, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. That's it for this episode of Forbes Under 30. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to reach out to us with a comment or question, please do so at under30, that's the number 30, at podcastone.com. Hi, this is Ben Dominich, the host of the Federalist Radio Hour. We're a daily show coming to you five days a week from Washington, D.C., where we interview our nation's top journalists, politicians, authors, chefs, economists, entertainers, and more. If you're looking for a contrarian discussion on news, politics, or culture, give us a listen and subscribe at PodcastOne.com, the new Podcast One app, or at Apple Podcasts. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our Spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our Spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. At the border. I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.